Hey everybody, I'm Greg Soul, and this is Why Am I, a podcast where I talk to interesting people and try and trace a path to where they find themselves today. My guest this go around is Jenny Radcliffe. I honestly probably don't have time to properly introduce her, but uh, here are some of the highlights. She's a self-proclaimed scouser, an amazing storyteller, an award-winning podcast host, and oh, by the way, she's also paid by folks to burglarize them. <laughs> this is often referred to as a social engineer, but in essence, she's paid to travel all over the world, lie, cheat, and steal her way into places to assess their physical security. Uh, she's a serious badass, no joke there, but she's also empathetic and extremely kind. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jenny. Jenny Radcliffe, thank you for joining me on the Why Am I podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Greg. Absolutely. Well, I hope that uh, enthusiasm didn't seem fake because it's genuine, because we just had an amazing meal in the fantasy restaurant, and I was so pleased for that. It was very good. Very long. <laughs> I couldn't make my mind up. It was, it, it's, was it kind of like in Lord of the Rings, where, what does he say, like a wizard always arrives right on time? It's like that meal took precisely as long as it required. <laughs> so it's just the right amount. So don't worry about it. All right. So, um, you and I are in line somewhere. Where would you like to be in line? Nobody wants to be in line, but you Brits are famous queuers, right? Like you guys, oh, I see. You guys love standing in line somewhere. So, where are we standing in line? Uh, Glastonbury. Glastonbury, like the music festival. Yeah. Okay, we're standing in line. Yeah. We're chatting. I tell you that I am a dog groomer. We talk about that for a little bit. Talk about which my favorite. What is the most dangerous breed to try and groom? You know, most likely to bite, which I assume is probably a small dog. At least that's mostly uh, what I've been It really isn't. By. It's a guard dog. Believe me. <laughs> I know from personal experience. Do people take guard dogs to the groomers very often, though? No, but they... they I do have to sneak past them in my job. I know you're going to ask me. That's <laughs> how right. I know. <laughs> All right. So we talk about that, and then... We're done. We're exhausted because I'm pretty boring. So it's your turn to reciprocate. So who the heck are you? Oh, God, you know, and I hate this question because I get asked this question by old ladies on trains. And I say, oh, I'm a security consultant, ma'am. And they say, what does that mean? Um, so I and I'll tell you what it means, but it's a, it, it's never a quick answer because it gets you guessing after that meal that there never is. But I work in security and I have two specialisms. So the first specialism is the psychology of things like cons and scams and hustles. So uh, how they are put together, uh, but specifically uh, how to motivate, influence and persuade people to do something. Um, so uh, the name for what I do is social engineering. Uh, and that's a term that, that's come to encompass, you know, a, a sort of phishing emails um, and, and con artistry sort of generally in the cyber world. And uh, and I'm known for that. And I do that. I prevent, I sort of analyze and prevent that for clients. But the thing that uh, everybody always wants to ask me about is I'm also a burglar. And <laughs> I really am a burglar. So... The other aspect is uh, what we call physical infiltration or penetration testing. And I'm wearing my penetration testing does not mean what you think, <laughs> t-shirt, because I'm asked that. And what it means is 
a business or a high net worth individual maybe or an organization will set up security systems physically on a site so fences alarms gates fences and in the same way i can persuade people to tell me things from a psychological point of view we get in so me and my team often just myself um, get past that security and we do it so that we can educate people um, so that they can fix the problems or the way that we got in so that the security is better and the bad guys can't do the same thing so it's hardening security through breaking it if you like yeah and people pay you to do this yes hmm. which is amazing <laughs> to me because <laughs> You know, we, we were always paid to do. I started, you know, I'm sure you might well ask me, but you know, when I started out, this was something that we kind of got paid for sometimes. <laughs> but now it's, you know, this is this crazy age that we live in. This is a huge specialism hmm. and it is a specialism. And uh, yeah, of course you're going to pay. It's better to pay me to, to, to get past and to break it and then fix the problem so that people who would do you harm can't use the same methods and get in, then never pay me anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, we don't want folks like you out on the street trying to figure out how to make money off of this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> keep you honest. It makes sense. So you said um, sometimes you go in a team, sometimes you go by yourself. Which do you think is easier? Mm. Or is that situational? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work really. It's not easy. It depends on the job. Uh, I had a job uh, actually in the in the US and I spoke to a friend of mine, just, I had a query and, and, and they're in a similar game. And they asked me at the end how many people I was taking and I said, well, there's two. There'll be me and a driver. And she said, <laughs> and 10 others, right? You can't do that on your own. But for me, that that's an that will impede progress. It needs to be quick. It needs to be no attention. And in the US, I I do get some attention because of the accent. Uh, yeah. So sticks out. So I bit. try I, I try and be a little bit uh, quicker and quieter on my own if I can physically do it, because it's quite a physical job. And I'm I'm older than I used to be. When I was a bit younger, I was a bit more physically you know fit and I could do it easier. So sometimes you need a crew. Um, depending on whether you need a distraction, whether it's a big site you have to cover, whether you need someone um, technical, whether I need a technical hacker with me. Because what I call myself is people hacker, uh, which was a title a journalist gave me a few years ago. Um, because obviously I work with people rather than computers, so it's a, good, mm -hmm. it's a good moniker. So sometimes I need technical hackers as well if you've got a, you know, a, a technical infiltration to do at the same time. And I would not be able to do that, but I can get in and I can let them in or I can take a laptop or whatever we need to them. So it depends on the job. Yeah. But I like, I, I'm, I'm more used to working on my own or just with one person than I am with a, a, a huge crew. I mean, there's times we, we usually work with four maybe, but it's, it's, those are big jobs and there's a lot to manage. Yeah. I was thinking like if it's just you, I don't know, for me, it's so much easier for me to just keep track of myself and what I need to do. But then when you have all these other people in play, to me, that's where things start getting complicated. Like I have to keep track of them. I got to make sure timing is right and all these various places. So 
And it's kind of like dating. You need a wingman sometimes, right? Because you need someone to watch you back because you can't watch everyone. So sometimes there's a lot on your cognitive load. You have to remember what you're doing. You have to acquire whatever you've been hired to acquire. But you also need to watch your back and you need to watch if people are watching you. And the thing is, sometimes uh, I'll be inside a building during the day. It'll be offices or whatever. I'm not supposed to be there. But the big tendency people have is to say, oh, there's somebody walking through the office I don't recognise. Looks harmless. Doesn't seem to be doing anything dangerous or difficult or dishonest. Not my problem. I'm going to carry on, you know, polishing my lathe or whatever their job is. And that's, you know, we're not often challenged. But when we are, it's good to have a, a B team saying, right, okay, I, so let me give you an example. I was I was in a place with a two two person team, myself and uh, somebody else, and there was a guy who we could identify from a physical attribute that I cannot tell you, but I'll make it up just to make it easier. Let's say he had a really cool moustache that went up at the mm. edges, so he's instantly called Moustache Man. And I was walking uh, in one part of this uh, site, and my uh, other, my partner, my B team, God, she'll kill me for calling her B team. Her B, my B team is another say. And so she'll text me and say, Mustache man coming your way. Because that guy had made us, but had not approached yet. And that happens a lot. You know, he knows that we're there. There's something not right. These are people in the building that shouldn't be in the building. Now, I, I'm, I can't see him because I'm attempting an infiltration to this, you know, the most secure area. My B team says he's on his way, so I have to abort and go round again because he's on to us. Sometimes we know that they've noticed us before it really lands in their little brain. Hmm. Do you prep a story, or like, uh, oh yeah, like some kind of? Do you change it up, or is it pretty much the same thing? No. So you need uh, you need a plan A, you need a plan B, you need two plan Cs. And the DEF. <laughs> and then when you go in, you won't use any of them. Nine times out of ten. You need a backstory and you need some props for that, right? Uh you need so you need a reason to be there, a reason why you're wandering around, a reason the person you're pretending to be um is there. So it's not just that why why is the company there, why are you there in the building, but why would that person be doing that thing? Right. Right? So is she so I'll pretend to be uh let's say give an example. You know, I'm a, a. We did one where we were we were pretending that we were doing a security survey, which is very cheeky, uh, and that we had to survey all the cameras. So we're literally going up to cameras and go, "Yep, that's a security camera," and you know, with a clipboard, you know, and I don't know what specifications of security cameras are particularly. I mean, obviously, I know how to avoid them um, <laughs> sometimes, and you know, I'm like. Mm. So you need that kind of story, and and you'd be asked, and like sometimes people will look at you, and you'll sort of go like this: look, that's a a B four seven eight five three. I'm sorry, it's just, and I'll have written on the piece of paper, it's a B two four seven eight five three. It doesn't mean anything, but it makes it sound as if I've got some some. I'm from the alarm company, and this is some internal product number or something, you know. And it it can be very shaky those premises sometimes. It can be you don't very thin ice <laughs> which is why i always say try not to be too elaborate because i don't know anything much about the technicalities of an alarm system really um 
not really not to the extent where i could you know give a presentation or or anything i'd be i'd be bsing essentially i'd be fluffing it so don't be try and stay with what you know so i'm a saleswoman for the alarm company who's only just started um is looking to get to meet her friends for cocktails in a couple of hours and really is on a wind down but i've taken this part this job on for this client because somebody else couldn't do it at the last minute which might be why you've got a different name or even no name on the visitor book um but i'm going to talk a little bit around it as if i know something and and i'll use that lack of knowledge in the in the pretext a little bit and in my head you know i'm that person i'm that lady who's looking to go for a drink in a couple of hours and it just affects the whole persona right you're just trying to get it done I just want to get in and out. I want to go home. I just want to get it in because I'm getting, you know, I'm going for a cocktail with the gales. And, <laughs> Do yeah, you feel like just being a female like helps you like slip into these places or slip into these roles or I, I, do people trust women more frequently? You think? Well, you see, by people you mean men. You see, oh, women, I just meant people in general. No, no, I know. But what it really means when you dissect it, because we're all asked this all the time, right? women, female security people are always asked it. And, and even I have a friend who's a gambler. She was, she was on my podcast and, and, and she gets asked it as well. Is it easier to be a woman to, to, to you know, to, to kind of hide and to change up? If the security team are men, there's a certain amount of grace that you get that uh, most men probably don't see women as a physical threat. Certainly not someone who looks like me. I don't look physically threatening. So there's a certain amount of of uh, naivety and I think casualness about women because we don't we don't look like we're going to attack someone. We're not big enough to maybe you know. It's just physically you just don't look as frightening. But female security guards are nightmares for someone like me because they don't necessarily think that. Because if they are badass, and you may have to bleep this out, then they know other people can be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I and the reason I always say this is so. So on the one hand, you can't necessarily change your look up as easily as you might think. So you don't disguise as well with makeup and things. It just isn't as easy as you think, because you tend to look like someone who's got a lot of makeup on or is wearing a wig or whatever. Um, and again, I spoke I spoke to Gina about that on, on my podcast just recently. But uh, but but men tend to and people generally, you're right. Like people generally don't think women are going to be violent or, or, or dangerous or, or criminals, which is wrong. But it's just the majority of that would be men in most mm. people's mind. If you got a female security team, they absolutely would be suspicious of <laughs> and we got caught on one team by a lady who just just was not going to let us go not at all not having it <laughs> just boom straight away she just was so good i said to her i would I, I you know if you ever leave here lock me up and you, and you can work for me because i've never seen anyone so bang on um and of course they'd had a little bit of a tip off but oh. not the gender so so she was she was good yeah generally speaking i don't think it's it, it's an advantage in some ways of course it is because people think men are more likely to be criminals but but it sort of presupposes that the security teams are, are men which they often are well i think it's situationally women. it probably matters too like so i um i did uh data center work for 13 years you know working mm-hmm. at a data center and so physical security is a big part of that right it's like a, a big reason people go into a, a data center right is like physical security like we're 
we have staff, we have guards, like you mentioned, we have cameras, we've got all this stuff. <clears throat> and for us, since it's in IT, um, you know, 98% of everybody who comes in and out of that building is male. So if we saw an unidentified female walking around, that would super stand out, right? So like in that environment, I think that would almost be a detriment because yeah. you stand out even there's, more. There's some kind of except if the janitorial staff tend to be mixed, you know, there's often a lot of women office cleaners and things. Um, you just have to find, it's like with anything, you just have to find a way that you can walk around, that way you can, you can pass unnoticed amongst the crowd. You have to be able to melt into, not the background exactly, but into normality. Mm -hmm. So I never, there's never anything, what you're looking to, there's never anything remarkable. Yeah, you just don't stand oh. out in any way. Yeah, I never wear like jewellery or anything like that that, that that would identify me, except when I want it to. So for example, I've got this pair of giant green earrings, which are fabulous, darling. But I would not normally <laughs> wear them on a job. I'd wear them on a night out because they're great. It's, it's, you know, it's a conversation piece. I love them. But if I wanted someone to remember one thing about me on a job, I'd wear those. Mm. Or in these COVID times, I'd wear a mask with a strange design because then when someone says, well, what did they look like? They're going to say, well, the mask was I don't know, blue with pink spots and she had these great big earrings. Yeah, but what, what was the face like? Didn't see a face. I was looking at the earrings. Yeah, I've heard uh, like about some bank robbers in the past. That's what they do. They would pick one attribute and they would make it so exaggerated that that's all people could fixate on. So yeah, like after the fact, what did they look like? He had this giant giant head of hair or his glasses were enormous or yeah just something that would really stick out just, that's what stands out it's human nature yeah that's the way our brains work it's distraction techniques kind of like in the same way magicians mm -hmm. yeah Magician like uh cognitive blindness and all that yeah absolutely it's, it's a distraction i want you looking over there and that's why we use a b team right disposable b team i want you looking at that b team i want the security guards looking at that b team <laughs> Dealing with that BT, oh congratulating themselves by patting each other on the back, saying, "Oh, we caught this again. We caught the pen testers. Yeah, we got them. You know, they they went that good. Sure, we caught them quite well." And while that's all going on, literally within an hour, we'll send more in. Well, I I noticed a minute ago you were worried about calling one of your friends the B team, and now you just called the B team disposable. So, I mean, it is getting, <laughs> it is getting you are getting more and more in trouble as this yeah, goes. Yeah, on. yeah, I saw him, so I'm just very badass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. that's awesome well i mean it's interesting somebody who would um choose this line of occupation probably has a very specific reason for it so it's very curious to me how you would get started in this and obviously it, it is so easy to find out anything about you because you are everywhere like some people i have to like scour and for you it's just like i mean the floodgates uh, opened. There is a lot of information about you. So I, I know a little bit about you. Here's the trick. I try not to learn too much because I still want to be surprised. So um, tell me a little bit about how you would even develop in such a way that this would be interesting or appealing because it sounds, it sounds scary and or dangerous sometimes. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if they sort of pay you and they know you're going to be doing this stuff that it seems like the danger would be limited but tell me tell me what would drive you towards this well i will 
but just the first thing to say is, you know, when you say, oh, you're everywhere and I can find out lots about you. It's very funny to me that people say that because the people hacker side of what I do is everywhere. And I've given people like yourself interviews. I interview people. So there's a lot of, you know, it's a two way conversation. And, I, and I've told the story uh, or, or some of the stories in my background before. But the, but I, get, I can still keep parts of it private. Absolutely. And, and, and it's a trick. Uh, it's basically a trick as much as anything. I track people down and I know what to look for and I know what to share and what not to share. And as a security professional, that's one of the things I say to people, be very careful what you put out there. So people, it's actually got a massive downside, Greg, because people think they know me. Well, and, it, and you're, you're so everywhere. People, um, <laughs> what's the term? Parasocial relationship where they hear you all the time and they, they think they know you. You know, like yeah. I'm sure you've met people that have listened to your podcast and there's just like, they think you're their best friend, right? Because yes. they get to... I get, and I get weirdos who think that as well as just nice people who just go, oh, Jenny, I meant to ask you, who are you? <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you obviously know everything about me. I get yeah. weird people. Well, and I do mean weird. I'm, I'm yeah. not even bothered about using that term. Well, when I, you know, like when I look up people, I'm not trying to find out where you live or, you know... Like, oh, no, that's, what, that's our job. Yeah, right, like all exactly. that kind of... It's like, yeah, to me, that, that definitely crosses the line and... um it does. I guess it people does. could try and scare, like you said, there's, yeah, there's, there's weirdos everywhere, especially if you're in this line of work, maybe somebody trying to challenge you say, oh yeah, well, guess what? I found all oh, this. And, yeah. Always. I mean, there's... we're trying to social engineer me anyway. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I've t I tell the story a lot and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll sort of tell it slightly differently, but, uh, I don't feel like I chose this as a career. First of all, this has only recently become a career the last few years. A career that that is even remotely respectable, um, <laughs> and that even our small kind of community in the security industry um, are aware of. I mean, it's only this a small circle uh, know. You know, it's only the security industry that would even know who I was. And there's people with ten times the amount of followers and visibility of me. So it's 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 an illusion. I think we're in an echo chamber in some ways. But I didn't choose it. I. Um, as we spoke about in fantasy restaurants, I'm from Liverpool. Liverpool was not, uh, these days, it's, it's an amazing city, but it, it, it's a Phoenix city, not Phoenix, Arizona. It's a Phoenix. You know, we've had some knocks and unemployment and things like that, and it always rises and becomes mm. better in every, uh, every reinvention, if you like. But when I was a kid, it was quite rough, and where I grew up was a bad neighbourhood in some ways. Um, lovely people and great, but you know it had its problems. And so I just, my parents wanted me to to kind of um, learn to be streetwise, and so I, I I sort of hung out with my cousins and 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 they taught me to be streetwise. They were older boys in a in a huge gang of friends, all the neighbourhood kids. It's not that unusual a story, but they were. Um, Liverpool's quite run down, and so we were in and out of buildings and things all the time because they were empty. It wasn't that they were particularly good targets or anything else. They were just old and interesting and empty, and there were factories and things. We went into one factory very early on, and I remember that there was a desk. Someone had clearly just abandoned the desk, and the whole place was derelict, and everyone had been laid off. And on the and on the floor was sort of half on the table, half on the floor was this calendar, and all the days had been kind of crossed off until like this last day and then you know so there was always a story inside the the dereliction inside the decay and it's you know urban uh, exploration is the term used yeah. now 
yeah. airbox. And and so I love that side of it. There was always stories everywhere I went, and I, and I you know it's like with the fantasy meal. I can't just say to you, oh, I like prawn cocktail. I have to tell you the whole story because yeah. it's just yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's just how I work. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, um, let me stop you really quick. So going into these buildings as a kid, yeah, what was what was the feeling it would give you? Like like what would propel you to keep doing this urban exploration? Like I I know in my head. I've got this weird fascination with nostalgia for a time that I didn't even exist in. So whenever I enter these spaces, I don't know, it just feels like I'm on holy ground. Like when I'm in these, like these, these long forgotten places, like it just makes me, uh, it almost makes me feel like I'm honoring people that came before me. I don't know why that feeling overcomes me every time, but what is it that about that kind of thing? Is it the discovery, the, the possible chance of finding something new? Why would, why would you be compelled to do that? Well, they're all different, you know. So we, I mean, I remember being in buildings where we, we, we saw sort of dead animals and things that would be te- disgusting and terrifying <laughs> and sad, you know. And like the factory with the calendar, there was something about that. There was a story there that no one had ever really know. You know, what did that person did they look forward to crossing that last day off, or was <laughs> it the worst day ever? Or so there was a story inside every place, and I suppose. There was a, it was curiosity. I was bored and I was clever, you know, and, and you shouldn't, I, I was, you know, the education system at the time in, in the UK and arguably now doesn't really account for diversity of, of thought. Mm. And so I had a almost a photographic memory. So, I mean, I don't now, I hasten to add years of that menu that we've just discussed <laughs> definitely wipes it out when you're talking about drinks as strong as that, as those drinks and, and, and you know, but um, and just age. But I used to have this. So like an exam or, or or passing things in school was never even. It just never crossed my mind that it'd be particularly challenging. Um, and there was no internet, as I'm forever telling younger people I speak to. So you just <laughs> bored. And this was exciting and it was interesting. There were different stories we'd meet. One thing I've never really spoken about much on interviews. So so sort of an exclusive, despite the fact given lots of them, as, as you've mentioned, perhaps too many. Um. Uh, is that you meet a lot of people because mm. people live in abandoned buildings and you mm. meet them and, and sometimes we'd, they would be scary sometimes we'd help them uh, sometimes they'd be ill you know there was all sorts of different things going on so I suppose it was just interesting when I was a kid and then into being a teenager and then I got paid and to give you an idea I got asked to do a building in Liverpool and I was doing a, a various little sort of Saturday jobs, mostly that were perfectly legitimate, mostly. And, um, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> um, and I got a student grant for university, for college, right? So we used to get these government grants. We don't get them anymore because our government doesn't do things like that anymore. But back, I was like the last generation to get, you get like a sort of a thousand bucks type of thing to, to, to kind of get you through. And, um, and this job would pay, say I got, 1600 pounds mm-hmm. a term so that would be what would be three months to live on then i'm going back i'm old i'm going back a while not much though one of these jobs if someone said to me we need you to break into this building take this or put this down or would pay me about 300 bucks for one job one night one night so it was massively lucrative at the time and it only became more so as I got better at it and the targets got bigger and time moved on and everything else. 
So partly it was out of boredom and it was always a story. And partly, eventually, it was just really well paid. And I think as well, I would be lying if I didn't say that I couldn't. I, I did do, I worked for a long time in normal jobs and offices and things. And I was a consultant and trainer. And I still do sometimes do that for old friends and, and colleagues. But a normal job like that just was suffocating to me. I hated it. How good are you, um, you know, in your normal jobs at taking direction from bosses and I, being corrected if you mess up or showing up late? <laughs> how's that? How's that work out for you? don't think I understand what you mean. Um, I can't take <laughs> direction. I, I, I almost, and that's really bad. And it's something I try and work on. I try. Uh, it's hard to be a team player when you've done so much in your own relied so yeah. much on yourself. Yeah. And that's a big, that's a weakness. You know, I need to try and be uh, more of a team player, but I find that very difficult. No, you know, it, it really, although I had great mentors and great friends from, mm. a, from a work perspective, um, I always was on my own. I always felt I was on my own. I had to look after myself. Me and mine was down to me and mine. It wasn't down to anyone else. And I just, I can't. And yeah, I'm unemployable. I've walked out of <laughs> and, t and told people to stick so many jobs in my life because I just think life's too short to, to do something that you really are miserable in. And I really believe that, you know, a lot of people are really miserable in their job. Life's mm. too short. You can reinvent yourself. And I remember being told, well, you what, what are you leaving? You've got this great salary from one particular psychotic boss I work for. Who will probably be watching this. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, no, I just need to work out my outgoings. And then I need to make that amount every month. And I can, you know, I can pull a drink in a bar or I could clean an office. Or hell, I could break into an office and be paid a lot of money. But I never thought about that. I always thought... I will always make my bills. I'll make my rent and then I'll worry about it later. But I'd rather do that. I'd rather clean latrine than answer to someone I didn't respect. Yeah. And so I never did. I never did. I've done it. I mean, I did it for a little while and then I'd just go. And I'd sometimes just go. And I'd always pick a theme song when I left. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd play it really loud in the car on the way out of whatever job I was in whilst flipping them the finger on the way out i would i love it that seems like a total shock to me i i wouldn't have thought that of you at all um you talked about mentors uh, that you've mm -hmm. had some really good ones were you open to being mentored uh, like in your younger years or is that something you found as you got as you started kind of maturing a little bit no i, I always there's a, i think there's a difference between someone who's, who's your mentor and someone who's, who's who, like you say who's a boss yeah yeah and absolutely. i always and so I was always open to that. And I and I always knew I had, I had a lot to learn. And I also knew there were wiser, more uh, calmer people who who could advise me of certain courses of action because I'm so ruled by my head. And I'm so, I you know, I'm so, I run so hot emotionally. Very so emotional. I always kind of think, well, emotional is one of those terms that I, that women don't like to get because it makes you sound like you're oh, you're emotional all the time. But like I get angry quickly if I saw an injustice or whatever. And so I needed to have someone I could run things past who had a calmer uh, mind than me. And there are people in my immediate circle, my family, who are like that. And then I used to have, and I still do have, a board of directors unofficially who I can run things past. And it's so funny because I, 
they we we have code names for all of them because a lot of them are either in the security business or in or very high profile in other ways um and i'll ask them certain things that you know for advice on things because i that's not me you know it's i'm not the person who's going to be i'm not going to i won't sit and make a, a ton of money just and sit and just put up with someone you know saying something i disagree with so i'd be i'd be likely to walk out Hmm. Whereas my mentors will say, well, Jenny, you know, all you have to do is keep quiet for an hour <laughs> and they're going to pay you X. So, you know, this is a good business decision. And so I, and the value of that's very, I don't think you can, I don't think you can overstate the value of having a few opinions around you. And I think, and I make very sure that those, are, that it's a diverse group of people that I ask, um, and so I, I have people who are, who are a lot younger than me that I ask certain things. I have people who are not British who I ask certain <laughs> things. Uh, and I have people who are, I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you now, I have mentors who are in their 80s. Mm. And, and that's almost, to me, that it's just gold that I've got people like that. And people sometimes raise their eyebrow and I think, well, hang on, Joe Biden is 79 years of age. Do not raise your eyebrow that I go to someone is two years older than them for advice you know this is the wisdom of the elders like these they're telling me they've probably made those mistakes or probably not and tell me how to avoid things so yeah i mean that's kind of how i learned everything i do it the wrong way over and over and over till i find the right way and if somebody can give me a i had problems uh, at an early age taking any sort of advice from anybody you know i had to do everything on my own and so um i have in my you know, more senior years here, uh, learned the value of somebody else's hard-earned lessons, right? Like if, if they could tell me, you know, don't stick your finger on that stove and it saves me a little bit of trouble, I definitely um, am open to that. But it took me a long time. It took me a lot of work on myself. And it sounds like you're an extremely independent person, certainly an independent thinker. And But the idea that at a, such a young age, you were open to advice from others is like so incongruous to my brain. It's like, I wish, I wish I had that kind of intelligence as far as, as that piece goes. So I think that's, well, I mean, I, 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 don't, I tend to think yeah. that's unique amongst free thinkers. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would have seen it as intelligence at the time, but, it, but I was, I was brought up to listen. And one thing I'm not is, and, and this people probably know me and laugh at this and, or whatever, but you don't really know me if you do. I'm not stubborn. So I might be very, you know, I'll be opinionated and I will stick mm -hmm. to my guns and everything else. But yeah, but I can be, so if, if you give me a good case against something, I will definitely change my mind. And if I don't know, I will, I will delay a decision. And I learned that very early on. And I think that, I think, so I wouldn't say it was intelligence as much as being taught that you listen to other people and then you wait if you can't, if you don't know the answer, you wait. And you know, for years, I worked in and out of China for years and years and years. Um, and I taught Chinese contract law and I taught Chinese business practices and things. Hmm. Back in the nineties when, when the, we were all kind of first going out there, say we were all uh, US and, 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 and Europe were kind of going out there and, and sourcing out in China. And I had some friends in China who told me things like, like that. You know, they said, you know, you, you, you need to be patient. They said, it's so funny the way you, you lot are always, everything's got to be quick and done. You know, you don't think about anything properly. 
and it was a cultural lesson that they're really right you know that you not almost nothing needs to be made almost nothing needs to be answered as quickly as we're all tempted to answer it sometimes in the west and i think they also said that if you know delay something even make an excuse up and delay something if you're not sure because it's better to do that than make make any decision in the heat of indecision and emotion mm. and of course that's what i teach all the time when i'm teaching people about social engineering and con artistry and don't make a decision in the heat of emotion and it comes from all that work i did out in asia and other parts of asia as well where you know they'd say we i mean <laughs> the first time i did a negotiation in china there was some words getting bandied around and i said to the translator it was lovely 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 lady they say and she said i said no beard no business and i said i say i say and she said you're gonna have to wow them with your intellect and then giggled for hours <laughs> you know she just thought that was so funny like, like me wowing them with my intellect but it made me think and i thought okay you know i'm gonna have to really know everything and rehearse everything and that's not quick so i'll delay you you know and I think, and I think that's the thing. It's it's just these lessons. You have to be open to those to to do anything. And then, of course, two nights later, I was I was uh, staking out their site, but she didn't know that. Nobody else needed to know that. But I was there for that as well. So, hmm. yeah, yeah. I think, I, and you know, I don't always, I don't always uh, hear everything. But I, I, I tend to like if I, if my spidey sense goes off, I'll stop, and I'll stop a job. We've got a crew in a site and, and just something starts to feel wrong I'll abort straight away so that yeah I'll, I'll transition that leads me you said you know your spidey senses and something I saw and I don't know I mean not everybody writes all of the blurbs about themselves or has any input but somebody says that um, or I saw it stated that you could recognize a psychopath at a hundred yards Oh, what, God. what is what does that mean? Does that something you wrote? Do I have to change this? Right, this is on. But it is <laughs> what it is. Is the same journalist who called me a people hacker? Okay. Uh, yes, who called me a people hacker. She actually said, "You're Jedi Jenny, right?" And I saw God. I said, "That's I love it, but you can't." It's trademarked. I can't get away with that one. I can't do. It. So it's a people hacker. Um. She asked me to tell a story. And I told the so the job is investigations and as well so it's like standard sort of uh, in companies investigations and things because I, I have lots of kind of related skills and I told her the story that I didn't really let her write in too much detail um, but I'd had to I'd, I'd had to track someone and uh, we were looking into his background and everything and the internet wasn't quite what it is now it was there and there was all these things going on uh, and then I realised that he was a c completely was a psychopath in the classic, in the psychological, technical dictionary sense of the world. That's what that's what we were dealing with. It's only a question of scale as to how much how much of a psychopath he is. Um, and I re and I've been talking to him and working with him under this undercover for well, a couple of months anyway, maybe maybe two months, maybe six weeks, something like that. And I re you know and and. Everything a psychopath has uh, classically described, so, you know, superficial charm, charisma, all there. Um, 
Machiavellian sense of, of, of getting to the top and, and, and assuming that they're the, the smartest person in the room. And, it, and that complete lack of empathy just isn't there, right, um, with anything else. And I thought, you're playing me. And it, t- it took me six weeks. And I was there and I was looking for it and I was trained to see it. It took me six weeks. And after that, I'd sharpen my game on it. And I looked mm. into it a lot more carefully. And it still takes you, if, you know, if you, there are plenty of people I meet both it, it, from a professional capacity, from all sides of that spectrum. It can take you a while to realise it. And then, of course, proving it can be difficult. And if I'm, if, if I'm not being paid by a client to prove it, uh, I tend not to pursue it any further. I'll just cut it off. But I, mm. I see it all the time. And so she said that. And I thought that was a great, she was a brilliant journalist, great writer, and it was a great line. And I thought, okay. And then it went into a bio somewhere that was never updated. <laughs> it's in multiple places. I'll let you know. It's kind of all over. It's probably on my speaker. My all key, over the I think shop. it's on my keynote bio. But I mean, I can. I mean, you know, it's, it's a great <laughs> line. I wouldn't say it was it is. infallible, but I mean, I, I do still do work looking at um, Well, I, the the reason that like piqued my interest is I um, I read a book one time called The Wisdom of Psychopaths mm-hmm. and I found it really interesting and so Kevin, I was curious it's on my shelf it's by Kevin oh you've read that one I have it here I'm just, look it's the prof isn't it uh, you don't have to show me I believe you no I was just looking because <laughs> Kevin Dutton yeah yeah I found it truly interesting um, and one of the one of the things they said in there was that you know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's kind of an evolutionary trait, right? Like, you know, like the, the psychopaths sort of naturally occur, but then, you know, there's oftentimes in nature, there's a yin to the yang. And so maybe there's some people inside of communities or villages or whatever it happens to be that would also develop a sense to be able to detect these people. And so they were saying that a lot of folks, um, whenever they, some people are just hyper aware to that. And, and I was, it made me curious if you're one of them, but they, they described the feeling as whenever they meet somebody, it, that person, and they said almost universally, um, if I recall correctly, that it would, they described it as making the hair on the back of their neck stand up. Like that was kind of like this sort of barometer. See, I, I see, no, I, that's, to me, that's not, that's not how it works for me. And I certainly don't think I've got it. Nash, I work really hard to acquire those skills. I certainly met enough of them. I mean, yeah, since I was a little kid, really, I, you know, I, I mean, I, there was a lot of kind of violence in my neighborhood and I was mm. at the end of some of it and, you know, friends of mine and families at the ends of others. So you certainly grow up with an awareness of, or I think not an awareness of danger, but, but you know, I one of the key things about psychopaths is that charisma and it's that i think it i think it's Dutton that calls it i think it might even be in that book but there's the mask of sanity and it's the idea that you know they're very very good liars you know people with this particular disorder and it is a disorder lie all the time lie out of hand um and 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 are accomplished liars and i did lots of work in deception detection still regularly paid to do deception detection work, although much more fun than it used to be. It's much more entertainment now than criminal. And <laughs> I'd say that, um, I'm just smiling because there's some of the jobs on that are so much fun. But, um, but you know, I know what to look for in a liar. I work across 19 things to tell me whether you're telling the truth or not. But if someone is so ingrained in that persona, 
you know, it's exhausting to watch someone for long enough to, to get that data and, and, and to give yourself a percentage, you know, possibility of of whether they are that psychopath or not. So it, so for me, it's not instant. If there are people that get it instantly, I, I, I've worked with some police and things who I think are very good instinctively at spotting whether someone's violent, for example. But uh, I, I think what's much more dangerous is, is, the, is the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, it's the people that we... That, that you don't get onto for for a while and then when you do it's like wow i was looking for that this is my job I, i'm trained to do it i was looking for it and you still fooled me for a long time that to me is much more much more kind of intriguing and terrifying for me. whenever it, whenever it does take you a while to figure out something like that is that is there a level of frustration with yourself or has it just become part of the process? Like you accept it and uh, I'm not worried. Because like I would assume like everybody who's passionate about what they do, your ego gets kind of tied up in no, what you do and things like that. I can't believe I've missed it. <laughs> what you, an idiot. Even as long as you've been doing it, you genuinely still get like mad at yourself over it. Yeah. And I think I'm slipping. Do and you? I, yeah. And I said, right, that's it. You, you know, you, that's it. We're going to have a dry month. I'm not going to have a single drink. I'm going to really hydrate. I'm going to take vitamins. <laughs> I do. I'm going to take vitamins. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to get sleep. I even go away. I have some retreats uh, up and down the country, places I go on my own and I sit and I'm, and I'm quiet and I don't talk or much to anyone or do anything except think for a while if I slip because it's, you know, you have to, for me, everything depends on me being able to do my job properly and to be able to, to read people well. And if I've, slipped at something that in hindsight's obvious if i was talking to a member of my team or someone i've worked with before and i say my team i, I contract in a crew as i need them. right 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 but if i was talking to someone else that was saying that i'd be like oh don't be ridiculous you know um but for me now i'm that i'm my harshest critic i'm my harshest taskmaster and if i if i make a if i miss something or, or anything i'll be i like no nah, you're slipping how do you how do we get back how do we get that fitness and you can't give your grace that you would give any stranger off the street no. no do you think that's probably one of the pieces that's driven you to be where you are today because you always want to be better you need to be yeah. better yeah i yeah i i think I, I i just cannot believe how much i don't know already and why i why that what the hell have i been doing with my time that's what I, what i think is you are so lazy and you are so uh, you should be more driven and you should be, I do. And, and I, and, and, you know, and yet everyone who knew, and I know that that's not true because I work very hard and all the time, workaholic mm -hmm. really. But I think you could, you, you've got to be more productive. You can do this much more. You can do this much more in a more focused way. You can be so much better at what you do. Why, why are you not better at what you're doing? Why, you know, why are you remotely, why are you taking a break? Like people ask me sometimes if you've got a hobby, it's like, no. What of you? I can't <laughs> believe it. This is my hobby. So I, well, that's lovely, and I'm glad <laughs> you have a hobby that's so wonderful. But for me, I just go, no. What hobby? Hobby? When? Terrible. And it's not good. I'm not saying kids that you should do that because you need downtime. What what happens occasionally though is I'll completely have downtime, and and certainly I um we I do take the entire summer away from my office and move somewhere else. But you basically have to lock yourself into a closet so you'll stop working. 
I didn't say I stopped working. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just, I have to physically, I have to, it's like reframing psychologically. I have to reframe myself because in if, if you're, if you're not governed by a working day schedule, right, a routine, what, you know, what happens then? So I've, so I'll say like, if I have nothing, if I have nothing booked in the diary, I'm not going to speak to anyone everything shelf for say a week i will keep very strange hours and remember my all my um all my sort of sleep mechanism and internal clocks all knackered anyway because i slept because i was working nights you know going out at nights for years and doing all mm. this um so my is it circadian rhythm is is whatever it's called the sleep rhythm thing that's that's strange if i if i uh don't make myself go to sleep for a while, I end up being nocturnal, and I sometimes think I'm diurnal or nocturnal person. It's just like I don't. The daytime isn't my favorite time. I like dusk, dawn, and the night, which is such a stupid thing to say. But left to my own devices, that's what ends up happening. I end up working through the night and sleeping most of the day like a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I, you said it's it, true. not it's me. Not healthy. It's not healthy, <laughs> but that just is how it works. So obviously I don't do it for too long, but yeah, no, I do. And I and then I go out at night then as well because I, I love cities at night and nighttime smells and especially in the summer, you know, in the summer, cities in the summer smell differently than they do during the day. If you go out at night, there's that coolness and everything. And it's a mm. very European thing, very, uh, you know, any very hot country will have things like night markets. I spent a lot of time uh, in <laughs> Thailand and Taiwan and things. And they go out at night because it's cooler than during the day. And, you know, they, I guess they work all day or whatever. And I, I love that kind of nocturnal life and seeing a city kind of that second wind a city gets at night. And that comes from years of breaking into buildings at night, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, cha everything changes around. I like the... Um... I like cities at night too. I love cities during the day as well. I like cities when they're packed full of people. Um, and I love it when their streets are completely deserted. There's something eerie and ethereal and magical and special. So you about must it. have been, lockdown must have been as, as remarkable for you as it was for, for everyone to see those quiet cities. Um, it was strange, eerie. Um, because. Uh, I don't know. There's something about, like, I feel like an explorer making discoveries. Like, I'm seeing this in a way that almost nobody else ever does. And it's, like, kind of special. But then in lockdown, everybody was seeing that. And it kind of, I don't know, felt like, uh, I felt kind of like a hipster. It's like, man, I was, this was cool to me before you guys found it. So. But you know what you said then, so interesting to me? Because that idea of um, you see things other people don't see, that's the essence of the job. That is the essence of the job. And I say all the time, people are asleep. They're awake, Absolutely. but they're asleep. They don't notice mm -hmm. anything. Situational awareness, you don't notice. And that's what, I, what people ask me, what qualities they need to do the job or to work with me. And that more than anything is, is one of them. Because you've got to be able to notice things that, and, and it, makes, it makes life so difficult noticing things all the time. You know, reading people's microfacial expressions, reading intonations, in people's language and in their voice and oh it's just such a it's so difficult to switch off from that and if you can see things at night you know i i uh walked around my own little town during lockdown at night uh, when we were allowed to go out obviously mm. um 
And if you get in the little places that, you, you know, the places that aren't really used, you'll see these stories again. And, and you know, people always say I'm a good storyteller, which is the Absolutely. nicest thing someone can say about me, really. Because really, I think my whole career has been in, in pursuit of the stories that I will tell when someone asks me something simple, like what's your fantasy meal? In a way, that was really what drove all of it. You know, it's... It's interesting. A lot of the storytellers I talk to have a need to leave a legacy of some sort, but more so, um, at least the greatest storytellers I've listened to, um, or at least I've, I've been able to meet, what they want to do is they want to take stories that they've found, people that they've found, things that they've found that will disappear from existence, that are obscure and nobody will ever know about, and they want to bring them into the light. They want to share them with other people and say, look at this amazing thing. It's been here this whole time. How have you not seen this? Right. And then give it life. And then, and particularly for me, I find that, and I'm not flashing myself to say amongst that crowd, but for me, that's true of me because I think for me, it's what that story will do. And what, you know, if I, if I remember the things that I've done and the places I've been, if I, there's lessons in that for people to keep people safe, which is really the whole point of my, job and really my whole career is, is to keep people safe from people who would twist all of that but my but for me i'll i i don't want to do it infinitely it's the last story kind of i'll ever do will be the one where i just disappear forever and that's the end of it and someone else can start but i don't want to do it forever i don't want to be you know around publicly forever and telling this these ad infinitum it's I, I, I want to be somewhere quiet. I'm a city gal through and through, but eventually I'll, I'll, I won't be in a city. So, mm. yeah. And that is uh, quite personal. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone have... listening to that, who sends me the strange messages, don't send me a strange message about that one, or I'll never <laughs> say cake again for you. So. I just... I have the feeling that um, you want to be a superhero. Like, do you have an affinity for superheroes? Is that like a thing for you? Do you know what? Honest to God, that was why when I was a little, when I was really little, uh, and, and there was somebody who kept me in their house for a long time, wouldn't let me go, and it kind of started everything off. A little light bulb went off in my mind, and I thought, if I escape from this, I'll be a superhero. Because hmm. in my little child's mind, I want to be someone who, who, who this could never happen to, because they're too right. powerful, which is what fear does in a little kid, I guess. Yeah. Now... You can have it back. I don't want to be <laughs> superwoman or have superpowers or anything. You, you are very welcome to have that back because you know why? Because that it's hard work. It's exhausting. Doing, it's it's exhausting to do something well. It's exhausting to have skills that um, that are useful to lots of people. It's a lovely position to be in, but I mean, I don't feel it now. No, I'm quite happy to be as ordinary as I am, and I'm not aspiring to be. It feels like it could be a lot of pressure too, right? If all these people are looking at you to like, please help me, please save me. That's, I mean, I could see why somebody would put so much pressure on themselves to be driven, see, to push. See, the job, yes, you're right. And, and, you know, there's always like, you know, you can only, I suppose anyone who kind of is remotely connected with this and people like police and that do much more than I do. But there's always that idea that, you know, that's why I get so annoyed when I miss something because, like, you know, you could have helped that situation and you didn't. You were wrong and you were tired and you shouldn't have been to die all this. Um. So, yeah, there's a, 
there's kind of an element of that but I, I think the pressure for me that's the job and I've accepted the job for a long time I think the pressure for me is not that the pressure for me is more everything that goes with the job and with running the business and, and, and making sure that people you know for the business to run and for me to make my living and for the people who depend on me professionally and personally it's everything that goes with it these days so mm. it's the it's it's the sort of PR and the social media side I kind of enjoy some of it but some of it is you know I mean you know yourself there's the burden for deadlines and to get things out and people enjoy things and yeah you know I've had times when I've not put my podcast out because I've been working doing important security work that's work for me Mm -hmm. the podcast and everything else that I do and the social media is lovely but it's not really work it's I see that as something else um it's not quite fun and it's not quite work it's just it's just something um and that for me is the pressure is when people say, oh, you know, your podcast didn't come out this week, we missed it. Or someone will say, I always listen to your show on the way to work and we didn't put it out this week. I hope you're okay. And you just think, oh my God. And I might get like 300 of them messages. Holy cow. It's just, it, is, it is constant. I mean, I will say right now, if you've messaged me, if you DM me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, if you've looked my number on the website, if you've emailed me, it's not that I... I'm not answering it, but I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds because everybody wants to be a burglar. It turns out everybody, it's all, everybody wants to be a burglar. Everybody wants to be able to tell if someone's lying. All those skills are very attractive. I suppose if you, if you don't realize the amount of hard work that goes into them and how difficult it is. And I'm not saying I'm the expert necessarily in anything, but I'm like you said, I'm, I'm a public figure in some ways. I'm known. I put myself out there. And so people feel like they can approach me and ask those questions. And they can, but don't expect a remotely quick response because I'm working through, you know, you know, you're, I'll answer you. I can't answer you because I don't know the answer. I'll put you onto someone else. You're going to get deleted. You know, you're going to get blocked and deleted. <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, and everyone, I'm sure everyone has that. It's just a bit more if you do a few interviews and you know, a few shows and stuff. And then you just get it a lot of it. I honestly, I have no idea what that's like, uh, other than, um, previous work lives where you're just, the fire hose is always coming and Um, it's like you're, you're, you know, it's, you're constantly shoveling out, but, uh, twice as, twice as much. Yeah. I guess you're digging a hole in sand at the beach and just the, you know, the waves just keep pushing it back in and you're just killing yourself. Something you said there was, your podcast isn't exactly fun. It's not exactly work. When you first started it, was it fun then? And then it, it is, just I mean, turned it into is, a job? It is fun, but it's not a hobby. Now you said, oh, this is my hobby right. and I love it. Well, you know, I, my podcast is not my hobby. It's still part of the job. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, it's and good I advertisement. Those pe- I love speaking to those people and getting their stories out there. They have great stories. And I know a lot of people, I network with a lot of people who have interest, much more interest than me, most of whom... Are not have not got the ego to put themselves in anywhere. Although I always feel like this happened kind of slightly by mistake. It just sort of snowballed after a couple of conferences. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've noticed you have picked up some smaller people. I mean, so you really are like um, boosting them up. You know, you're putting them in the megaphone, which I think is mean, awesome. You mean people without the profile and the yeah, and yeah, folks smaller yeah. in the industry, which I think is yeah. really cool. 
yeah no because a lot of people do podcasts and they just go for people with lots of followers just because they don't really care if it's just because they've got followers they're trying to steal someone's audience and you know whatever you do whatever gets you through the night but that i'm more interested in people's stories and like i know people who it frustrates me sometimes because if I'll, I'll sometimes get someone on the show who's, who's not well known to my audience as a security audience cyber audience but the story is amazing and I want people to listen to that story mm. and, uh, you know, and, and that they might not be the ones that get the, the most listens because nobody really knows who that person is. And I'm saying, you've got to listen. This is, this is unbelievable. You know, well, yeah. we wouldn't be on my show. We don't have boring people on my show. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. That's partially how this came about. I've wanted to do this podcast series for a really long time. I've done a technical podcast for the last 10 years. Like this, uh, just a few days ago was the 10-year mark. So, um, Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. I know. I know. Do you know what people don't know how hard that is? Just to say to Greg's listeners, if he doesn't edit this out, it's very hard to keep showing up and putting that kind of content out. You have no idea what it takes to do it. So well done. Good it's exhausting. You. I mean, there's a, lot yes, exhausting. Where, there's a lot where I am pretty sure everybody could tell I was phoning it in, you know, but sometimes you just got to show up, right? Step one is just show up. And so, you know, they're not, most of them aren't like that, but yeah. But, um, you know, I would occasionally bring on new people that were brand new to me and just learning about them turned out to be so much more interesting to me than the technical aspects of what they do for a living. Yeah. Um, and it just, it helped plant a seed that was already, I guess maybe it watered a seed that was already there and just made it grow and it's what this turned into so it's yeah it's those stories those people that i find fascinating right like so you're i mean you're sort of in the sphere of technology of the kind of person i would interview on the other one but i don't want to talk about just that you know what i mean and that's what people want when they go there so i totally get that like you know it's it would occasionally i would uh accidentally go off on a tangent and it would alienate a portion of my audience and i would get some uh feedback on that and i was like i really i, I just need to break this how to do something else and and uh, it truly became my hobby and now this is like i am very passionate about this in a way that i am not don't get me wrong i like the technical one but i'm not passionate about it the way i am this one so i totally identify with what you're saying yeah like 110 percent and that's hard but i'm not saying i'm not suggesting you pile on yet another thing that you should do um, because you are already so busy. I'm not saying that you should split off and do something else uh, as well. But um, yeah, you are an exceptional storyteller. I, oh, I thank definitely. You. That's the I, nicest thing people could say. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I heard somebody else. Somebody else told me that too. That like being a good storyteller is. I think they. I think they said they wanted that on their tombstone or something akin to that. Like he was a good storyteller. Like that's well, like, how important it was. I, I think the fact that I'm a professional con artist, I probably don't want that on my tombstone. Um, <laughs> she tells a great story and was a con artist I don't know but I, I think behind the fact that I, from a security point of view you do help people after that saying that you're good storytellers is, is a big compliment because I guess I make my living that way uh, absolutely or at least half of it that way the half that's the keynotes and the and, you know the, and the kind of edutainment which is a terrible word awful dreadful darling we shouldn't say edutainment <laughs> but it, you know that's that's a big part of and it's a lot easier than falling off a roof 
talking about falling off a roof 10 years ago is a lot easier than falling off a roof on Tuesday. So I try and minimize the one and amplify the other. Well, talking about 10 years ago, do you feel like the landscape of things has changed in your line of work? Significant? Do you think it's more difficult now? Do you think it's easier now with the availability of the internet? Uh, do you think people are more gullible or just as like, what do you think? In terms of, in terms of it, online scams and cons and things i mean you know the research is easier and you, you can you can get depth and breadth easily from, from a technical point of view the physical infiltration is much more difficult because there's so much more tech you know there's just it's it, it, you are not you cannot any longer i mean i'm asked this sometimes when i tell stories of, of break-ins and things They're like oh what was the no cameras now i told a particular story from age which i'm not going to retell because because if, you know, if, if you look me up, you can you'll find the Unilad video you just did. There's the Unilads and there was .NET Diaries for security people. Um, but you know, I people ping me and said there were two things that really made me laugh. Of the millions of comments I got on it, some were love, most were adorable, but some are awful. <laughs> One person said, "What's the no? What about the security cameras? What's the security cameras? How long ago do you think that?" sort of stand cctv was standard in a domicile or in a small business yeah it's not that long ago and it certainly wasn't around at the time that was the first thing that that, that made me laugh and the second thing that made me laugh is somebody said it's a great story but it needs to be a little bit more dramatic at the end and i was like this is my life <laughs> <laughs> i think they'd rather have been shot <laughs> and so if you want to know that story just go youtube I break into homes for money, which is what they chose to call the video, which is terrible. I'm a security <laughs> consultant. I am keeping people safe. I am not actually a burglar. Well, I am, but I'm not, but I am. Yeah. There we are. I, that Unilad video is how I ultimately found you. And oh, right. <laughs> the, um, it wasn't what you said. It was how you said it. It was how you told that story that pulled me in and I was like, oh, I definitely want to talk to this you. person. Yeah. I mean, someone you could have said, been telling me about your trip to the, the grocery comments. store. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Cause someone, one of the, I don't read the comments because there's horrible comments as well. Yeah, as nice ones. You know, 99% are lovely but there's that few. And if you're like me, you're always, we're always going to go to the, you know, to the bad one. <laughs> uh, but someone says, because what I said was I went to do a job, job goes wrong. We won't do it here. Job went wrong, but I ran a, a bath so I drew a bath I think you called drawing a bath why do Americans yeah. call drawing a bath I don't understand that. but anyway drawing a bath and it was hot it was red hot one of those like baths you just can't get in it's like a kettle yeah. has been you're, gonna, you're gonna lobster it yeah and I just thought oh, I can't get in there but I, what I'll do is I'll go and do this job which is supposed to be a really quick job and it all goes wrong and then it doesn't and I'll come back and you just need to see it and I'll get back and it'll probably still be quite you know an hour that won't cool down in an hour and of course by the time I got back, it was, it was cold. And on the Unilad YouTube comments, someone said that, that's just the best line. And it just made me laugh because that's just the truth. I thought the bath was cold. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd expected it to still be hot, you know. Anyway. Yeah, I liked it as um, foreshadowing, you know, best laid plans of mice and men sort of situation. <laughs> I guess so. I guess that's true. But yeah, uh, I, I really, I really... Uh, I've been blown away by the reaction to that. I think we're at 800,000 views on that video. It was in you... like a month. Yeah, it was fast. But, but for the Lab Bible, that's, you know, there's people with 40 million videos, uh, views, and they're quite rightly 
get more than I do because they're things like you know veterans and stuff they that deserves more attention I, but it just when you get a few hundred thousand views of anything uh, it gets people's attention and I'm just really glad that the the source of attention it got for almost entirely was positive and got me to meet people like you and, and others so yeah it was a interesting move well I think I I don't know. I don't think anybody's more deserving than anybody else. I think if you've got a story to tell and you've got a, you've got a way about you, I'm sure you've heard this, but you've got a spirit that just draws people in. You pull people in and I, uh, I didn't want to hear the rest of that story. I had to hear the rest of the story. Oh, I had to okay. hear where you were taking me because I was like totally there. Um, and <laughs> like to me, like I, I don't know why you wouldn't think, uh, that should be out there. Like it's your fantastic storyteller, just pulling people in. And the idea that um, not only do you pull them in, but then you start exposing all these other people and their stories to me, you know, we mm -hmm. talked about earlier, you know, it's like the, the first hits free, you know, with a drug dealer, just keep it coming, <laughs> man. It's, I, I love oh, it. Well, I love you. how life can sometimes be this interesting um, game of Plinko. Do you remember that? I, you know what I'm talking about. There's this uh, crappy uh, daytime uh, game show uh, called right. The Price is Right. And they have this game where there's this chip that gets dropped at the top and it bounces off all of these nails all over the place. And you never quite know where it's going to go. Um, so we don't call that Plinko, but we have, a, we have a version of that. And then if you've got all quarters like in the bottom. In a, in, in, you know, if you go to a fair, fairground, where you have the same thing where you drop a coin and it gets to the bottom and then it pushes the the coins off now mm -hmm. you don't know what i'm talking about yeah i know exactly and then some of them like cascade down and you win the ones that fall off if yeah you push yeah them yeah them. yeah we have those as well but in 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 where i live you used to bang the machine and the alarms would go off and take <laughs> the money and run. what do you what's um i've heard uh reference to fruity machines over there what is that oh the fruity <laughs> yeah what is what is that it's uh you know like in vegas when you get the three you, you, you put the the coin in and you pull the thing like a, oh, one like a slot machine thing. Yeah. Slot machines are fruity. It's called a fruity because often the little icons have are fruit. fruit. Yeah. It's, yeah, see, it's not that exciting. <laughs> I watch a ton of British television, like, uh, and which is funny because, like, all the British people I know are like, it's so boring. Why would you watch that? You guys, I think it's the idea of watching something different. It's kind of like exotic and new and different. Some of I mean? it, some of it's good. We do, we do sarcasm very well. But you see, yeah. they, they always say that, that you know, that uh, the the US does this thing that the Americans don't get irony and sarcasm. But yes, they do. <laughs> what kind of generalization is that? Yes, they do. Some of the best shows and some of the best comedians in the world. You've, you've only got to watch, uh, you know, J Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert to get caught sarcasm, you know? So, yeah. It's, hmm. uh, there we are. There we are indeed. That was a long chat. <laughs> was it? It felt quick to me. Felt oh, I feel like I've been talking too much for too long. So Absolutely you edit away no. as you need to. <laughs> no, no. I, if you've ever listened to any of my stuff, I don't edit everything. Everything that happens in the show is in the show, unless there's like an internet disconnect or you know, like something like that, and I don't, I don't edit anything. So right here at the end, I want to ask you: Is there anything you would particularly like to plug? Is there any way 
uh, you would like people to specifically interact with you. Obviously, we've heard all of the ways you don't want people to interact with you uh, along the way. Oh, not all of them. You know, there's, lots, <laughs> there's lots more. Um, no, no, I'm happy for anyone. It's just I worry that people, you know, think I can reply straight away. And I, I just, it's just a, it's, and I can't let, I can't give that stuff to an assistant. Right, because there's a lot of confidential security stuff in there, so nobody else can look at it, and and so it's, it's a, it takes me a long time. No, I'm really happy for people to uh, to uh, connect, and you can find out what I'm up to. I quote, uh, I, I put stuff on Instagram all the time if I'm speaking in places or uh, Instagram silly. It's me wearing t-shirts with slogans on, and and, and you know, folks, you know, little shots when I'm on a rooftop or or. A, or, or of drinks, as we all do on Insta, <laughs> uh, and I'm on and Twitter, and so Insta I'm real people hacker. Twitter I'm Jenny underscore Radcliffe or people hacker. But if you put Jenny Security, uh, I tend to pop up sooner or later. Uh, and then LinkedIn, and LinkedIn's really the one um, where obviously if I if I release anything, I'm go I've got webinars and training and things planned for 2022, and lots of blogs and things about what my job is. So LinkedIn's the kind of grown up you're interested in the career. If you want to see shots of that fabulous drink at the Four Seasons in Montecito, go to Instagram. And if you want to see, particularly on weekends, uh, you want to see me you know, putting silly memes and things, then Twitter's your, your place. <laughs> and the yeah. website, which I nearly forgot to say, that's the uh -huh. socials. The website is humanfactorsecurity.co.uk. Um, and that's where you come if you, need, if you want to uh, email me or if you need our services all right as well as uh you have the um human factor security podcast that oh, yes. you run. currently the best european security podcast as voted by the eu bloggers awards is the human factor security podcast which is on everywhere you listen apple everything else and it's also a page on my website which once again is humanfactorsecurity.co.uk oh gosh can't get enough of it all right well i i just want to say thank you for your time it is a precious gift um i truly see it as that because it is the one commodity i don't have nearly enough of um you were i feel you open and honest as somebody who is accustomed to being guarded um i really appreciate you uh answering my asinine questions and going down these weird rabbit holes with me so i i no, couldn't have asked awesome. for anything better you it are, was awesome. It was lovely to speak to you. Yeah, you are a killer job. storyteller. I could seriously, I could listen to you tell me about what you got from the grocery store probably every, every, uh, every week as well. So if you want to start a hobby podcast where you just review frozen pizzas from the grocery store, um, Do you know, at some point there. when I slow down and I and I and I've moved out to this city, there'll be something, but it might not be under my name. If you're into one of my many aliases, <laughs> no, you're not going to know what any of those are. But we get to try and figure out what it is to find you. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Terrific. All right. Well, I'm going to click stop on the recording.